I'm sure you, you've heard the saying, if you snooze, you lose. Like, those, if you were thinking about after church picking up a tag for gifts or like me, you lost. <laughs> They're gone, right? That's what I love about our church, right? There's a need in the community, boom, we got it. We got cookies to take down to the jail, boom. I got so many cookies, they're going crazy. And we've given over this year over two tons of food to the food bank, and that is just awesome. Way to go, guys. But I really wish you'd say the tag. I'll find one somewhere. Anyhow, yeah. Give yourself a round of applause. That's what it's about. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence and we help us to rejoice in a simple gospel that you loved the world. You loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to die that we might not perish but have everlasting life. God, may we be rejoicing that and the salvation that we have. And Father, I, I pray today that you would just be with us. Keep the evil one out of this place as we talk about another facet of your love. Uh, please enable me to speak in the way that you want me to. Help us to be hearers of your word and doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome to week nine of our series, Love Is, and there's only uh, one week left. Next week, we're gonna, the title is Love Does, Does Not, Always, Never, Is Not, right? That's like, you take all the food out of the pantry, put it in the pot, and cook something up. That's all the stuff that's left, right? And because uh, I'm starting a mini Christmas series on the 22nd, and Christmas Eve, and then the 29th. Uh, but since October the 13th, God's Word has not only shown us what love is, but it has shown us that love does. You see, it's not enough for you, for me, for us to know what love is. We must also live out what love does because love is a verb. Uh, talk is cheap and mere knowledge alone just puffs up. Uh, that's why each week we've laid out very practical and tangible things that that we can do that will actually help us to live out God's kind of love. A love that has the power to change us, to change our marriages, to change our homes, to change our relationships, to change our church, to change our community, showing the world that we really are his disciples and thereby bringing more and more people to a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, have you been doing your 31-day challenge from last week when we talked about that love is thankful where every day you write down three things that you're thankful for, right? I, I've been doing it, and I, I read over every day the stuff that I've written, and i got a lot to be thankful for. And have you done your one-a-days where you encourage somebody through text or email or whatever? You know, I, I shot a text to a, a friend this week just to thank him for who he is, and he responded, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that today. 
And there's people in your life right now that need to hear something from you. Just say you're thankful for them. And you have, you'll have no idea. If you pray about it, the Holy Spirit will lead you to the right person to send it to. Okay, raise your hand if you want your life to count. And if not, feel free to leave, right? Because <laughs> I don't even know why you're here. Well, then we, then we need to pay attention to these words that, that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5. And let them sink deep into our inner being. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through t-shirts and coffee mugs and bumper stickers. No, that's not what it says. And this morning, as we continue looking at the incredible portrait of love that Paul painted on the canvas of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at what I think are the six most difficult words to live out in this entire portrait. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. Love is full of and a consistent dispenser of grace. I understand, I, I, I think, no, no, let me rephrase that. Without a doubt, the most difficult challenge that you will ever face in living out God's kind of love is when somebody hurts you. It's when they do you wrong. Is when they, is when evil is done to you or to someone that you love. As a matter of fact, that word love keeps a record of wrongs. That word wrong is the Greek word kakos, which means literally evil. And, and, and here's the deal. Forgiveness, it, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not a sidebar or a footnote to Christianity. It's not, it's not just one app in the app store or a topic that we should talk about every now and then. No, forgiveness and the dispensing of God's grace, forgiveness and the dispensing of God's grace is the operating system for Christianity. It's the basis for the whole deal that you and I are a part of. It's what makes everything else run. And yeah, I get that forgiveness. It, it, it goes against the way the world operates and it, it kicks against our natural instincts and it's so very uncomfortable to look at closely Yet it's still something that we must deal with. But at the same time, it's hard to deal with. Because there's real pain, real hurt, real wrong, real evil out there. Uh, on Wednesday, I, I posted the following on my Facebook wall. Sermon help. What is the most difficult forgiveness issue you've ever had to deal with? You could email me, text me, you know, uh, private message me. I said, most want the private route. Here's some of what I received. Uh, most difficult forgiveness issue I've ever had to deal with. My mom suddenly leaving my dad, brother, and me without any explanation as to why. Uh, my spouse committing adultery and destroying our home. Uh, my dad leaving our family suddenly. Uh, the lies and influences of others that have prevented me from having a relationship with my children. Betrayal and the ongoing never even for one moment Repented hearts of those who destroyed our child's marriage. Being treated badly by other Christians. Another sent me the physical and emotional abuse my brothers and I endured from our parents when growing up. Someone wrote betrayal and hatred from someone who was once my best friend. Another good friend of mine wrote, being molested by my male cousin when I was just five years old. And someone put, you know, their most difficult issue is forgiving themselves. They said they have all the wrongs kind of in their head, just running and running like a tape again and again. 
a lot of hurt out there. Question, so what is the most difficult forgiveness issue you've ever had to deal with or maybe are dealing with even now? Like I said, the world is, is full of hurt, real, deep, raw hurt. And, and therefore, the, the last thing that, that I, I want to do, not knowing your full story, not knowing the hurt and pain you went through, is to act like forgiveness is an easy thing to do, all right? Or, or, or to expect that in a 40-minute conversation, we'll walk out of these doors like a, like a TV show, right? And everything's wrapped up in a nice bow and everything is great. However... What I do want to do is to open up your heart and mind to the incredible opportunity that forgiveness is. Understand, forgiveness is it's recognizing that, that God is good and that the, the gospel is real and true and that the grace that surrounds us is abundant and freeing. Get it? Good. You see, forgiveness, not keeping a record of wrongs, is not a, a burden that God wants to place upon us, but it's a gift and opportunity that God wants to give to us and help us live out. Okay, let's do this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And, and the way I, I, I want to uh, attack our, our study, our conversation, is by unpacking these three statements. Uh, forgiveness, what it's not. Forgiveness, a parable. Forgiveness, a, a few helpful equations. You know, there's a, there, there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding about forgiveness out there. And I think that's one of the reasons because we misunderstand forgiveness. One, that's one of the reasons that we so infrequently give forgiveness. And that's why it's important to talk about what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not, you won't like this one a whole lot, it's not conditional. In other words, it's not based on someone's response, it's not earned, it's not deserved, it's not bargained for, and it's not paid for. It's not based on somebody's promise that they will never do it again. If you say, I'll forgive you if, that's not forgiveness, because forgiveness is unconditional. Next, forgiveness is not minimizing. It's not saying when, when someone comes and asks for forgiveness, it's not saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It didn't hurt. It's not a problem. It's okay. That's not forgiveness because it's, it's not okay. It's not okay to hurt another human being. I understand forgiveness means that there was a hurt, that there was an offense that was significant enough to require forgiveness. What I'm trying to say is that we don't have to pretend that the things that hurt us and offended us were not that bad. It's, forgiveness is not minimizing what happened. It's not minimizing the wrong or the cacos or the evil that was done to us. Next, forgiveness is not resuming. It, it's not resuming the relationship without change. Yeah, yeah, we have to forgive. We must forgive. That's not an option for someone who follows Jesus. But for the relationship to be restored requires Genuine repentance, which is change, and then time to rebuild trust. And even then, sometimes the relationship will never be what it once was. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Because <laughs> you know what? You really cannot forget the offense. But let me tell you something that's even better than forgetting. Replacing. Replacing. Uh, putting something else, something better, something different in place of the hurt. You, 
It's remembering but realizing that God can bring about good even out of evil. One of the classic examples is Joseph. You know his story. If not, turn to Genesis around chapter 37 and read to the end of the book, right? A lot of evil done to the dude by his family. And he says this in Genesis 50, 20. You planned evil against me. You wanted to hurt me. You wanted to bring me pain. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the saving of many lives. See, see, God wants to replace your hurt with the realization that he really can cause all things to work together for good and that he really can use it for his plan and purposes. Next, forgiveness is not forfeiting. It's not forfeiting justice. In fact, it's guaranteeing it. See, forgiveness is not waving the white flag and and, and, and uh, giving up on all hope of justice. It, it's not, forgiveness is not dismissing the case. It, it's simply appealing your case to a higher court. It, you know, it's saying, saying to God, God, they hurt me. Bad. <laughs> but I will leave justice in your more than capable hands. Amen? And finally, forgiveness is not weakness. I don't know about you, but sometimes... It, for me, it feels weak to forgive. It's kind of like, if I forgive them, then I lose. And I don't like to lose. And they win. And I certainly do not want them to win. But I'm, what I'm beginning to see is that forgiveness is not weakness, but rather it's great strength. See, in many ways, it's easy, at first at least, to keep a record of wrongs. But letting those wrongs go requires strength. Uh, where was Jesus most powerful? I mean, the cross. Is the cross, is that a symbol of weakness or is that a symbol of, of strength? So let's be clear what forgiveness is not. It's not conditional. It's not minimizing. It's not resuming. It's not forgetting. It's not forfeiting. And it's not weakness. Amen. Next, forgiveness, a parable. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable that speaks to this topic of forgiveness in a powerful way. It's sometimes referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, we could call it the parable of the gracious and just God, right? Or the parable of the dangers of unforgiveness. And here's how the passage starts off. Peter comes to Jesus with the question. Who else, right? I mean, let's start right there and say, of course he did, right? If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Peter was like that kid in class who would always say, whoa, 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 hold on for a minute. I mean, everybody else is nodding their head, acting like they get it, even if they don't get it. And, And Peter's that person, you know, maybe you know someone, maybe you're that person who always asks the question everyone else is thinking. Right? And Jesus had just finished up in Matthew 18 talking about some tough stuff, talking about hurt and confrontation and reconciliation. And that's what led Peter to ask this question, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, do you think he has a specific person in mind? I, I think he does. Just a guess. And, and, and Peter was probably, you know, expecting Jesus to commend him for being so gracious right? You probably heard this before. The rabbi said that you had to forgive three times and then you could lower the boom. 
You know, and Peter's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to double that, add one for good measure, and say seven times, right? Seven's pretty good. It's a good number. And to be honest, you know, I don't know about you, I have a hard time forgiving somebody one time, right? You did me wrong once, we're gonna, that's going to be tough. So seven times, it's, it seems pretty impressive. And Peter thought he was doing good. He thought he was going the second mile, turning the other cheek. But the reality is that what he was looking for, he was looking for a number after which he could finally say, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. And so he throws out that number feeling very confident that he's going to get a compliment. That Jesus is going to be like, are you kidding me, Peter? You are so awesome. Why can't all my disciples be just like you, Peter? That's what he was expecting when he threw out that number. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And again, I think he's talking about somebody specific. I wonder who it was. It's safe to assume that it's somebody he knew quite well because that's usually the way it works, right? I mean, there's some of you who've had someone come into your life kind of out of nowhere and they were there just long enough to blow up your life and bring a lot of destruction. But for most of us, the people who hurt us the most are the people that we love the most, right? And why is that? Because we give those people our hearts and when we give them our hearts, we also give them power over us, and that power can cause a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and a lot of damage. And you know what? I, I think Peter's question is probably a question that we all would like to know the answer to. I mean, as long as Peter's asking the question, I like to know how far is too far? How much is too much, Jesus? Jesus when can I let my grace and forgiveness run out? And so Peter sets Jesus up with this equation because that's what Peter wants to know. When does the hurt in my life, when does the pain that has been caused me, when does this become the equation that I'm allowed to operate by? When does my hurt become greater than your call to forgive? After seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And that loud sound you hear is Peter dropping over unconscious on the floor. Like 490 times? You see, Jesus and Peter, you've got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times you forgive someone because forgiveness is unlimited. It's not like you're like 298, 299, 300, only 190 more times to go, and then I can let them have it. Make them pay. No, 70 times 7 means there's no limit to how often we forgive those who hurt us. I know that sounds crazy, unrealistic, not natural, impossible, unfair. But remember, we who live in the kingdom, we who have surrendered and followed Jesus are to no longer live like the rest of the world. We're to live in a new and better country in a new and different kingdom, one where grace reigns and, and where we are supernaturally empowered by the Spirit to live radically different lives with grace and forgiveness as our operating system. Get it? Get it? Some of you didn't want that, right? <laughs> I don't want this. Why did I come to church today? Now, when we hear Jesus say, I tell you, not even seven, seven times, but 77 times, we 
probably accept that as true. And we were like, okay, if Jesus said it, I mean, then that's what he says. It's got to be true. However, sometimes it doesn't really feel true, right? You know, I mean, if you're the one who's been hurt, if you're the one who's been left, if you're the one who's been abandoned, betrayed, mistreated, and abused, if that's you, then you might say, yeah, yeah I guess it's true, but it sure doesn't feel true. Because sometimes it does feel like forgiving others and showing grace it seems like it does run out. At least it does for me at times. And so Jesus tells this parable to help us to get our heart and mind around this truth. That grace and forgiveness are always greater. Grace and forgiveness are always greater than our hurt. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he be he and his wife and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, now this wasn't an unusual thing. And imprisonment for a debt was very common in Jesus' day. So this action would not surprise those who were, who were listening to, to Jesus, right? Because they know the way of the world. The way of the world is you, you owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. So, so this is a, a story of a master who, who wanted to settle accounts. And, and one night guy owed him a very large debt. Anybody know what debt is? It's a blast, isn't it? Don't, don't you love it? Want some more of it, Right? Let's talk about the size of this debt for a minute. Now, before talent meant skill, it, it meant money. It represented the largest unit of accounting in Greek currency. It was 10,000 denarius. A denarius was equal to a day's wage. Now, multiply your day's wage by 10,000, you discover the value of a talent. Check this out. An entire year, all the taxes collected in Judea and Samaria that went to Rome added up to only 600 talents. Now, assume that you make $50,000 a year and you annually work 260 days. That means you make $192 a day, right? So a talent in your case would be 10,000 times $192 or $1,920,000. Therefore, 10,000 talents is $19.2 billion, Now, why does Jesus use such a crazy number? A number that's so huge this guy could never pay? To make a point. Let's hit the pause button. Because this isn't just a story, it's our story. It's the story of the human race. It's my story, it's your story. Jesus says there's a king, there's a God who's extremely generous, full of mercy and grace, and who's also painstakingly just. And every one of us has accumulated an unpayable debt before him. And we add to that debt all the time, like our national debt in our country, by the sins we commit of omission and commission. Understand, anytime we're less than honest, anytime we twist the truth to make ourselves look better, every time we're unloving to our kids, every time we're unkind to our spouse, every time we're disrespectful to our parents, every time we speak reckless words that hurt somebody, every time we know the good that we ought to do and we don't do it, like sharing our faith, bringing our tithe, caring for the needy, serving the body, but we don't do it, 
Every time we gossip, slander, tear others down with our tongue, every selfish act, every racist joke, every sexually impure thought or deed, every judgmental attitude and malicious action, all these things are adding to our debt all the time. And so Matthew 18 just begins with this reminder that we owe a huge debt to God. And then Jesus' story gets a little interesting. See, something happens in the mind of the servant. He's desperate. He has no, no alternative. And he, he throws up a Hail Mary pass. Servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. What? You're going to pay me back everything? I understand. If he worked 365 days a year at $192, it would take him 273,972 years to pay off that debt. What odds do you think he's going to live that long to pay the debt off? I mean, it's a joke, right? It's like saying, I'm going to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a teaspoon. It's not going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the master's intelligence. See, the master soon heard it. He knew it, it, he could never pay it back. And again, Jesus' listeners knew what to expect. They knew the rule. They, they know the ways of the world. You owe, you pay. So they're waiting for the hammer to fall, but it never does. Uh, because the master is moved with compassion as he looked at this selfish, desperate, frightened man. It says the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Again, this is a mountain of debt, right? And it, it, and it just doesn't disappear. I mean, somebody's got to pay. Someone's got to take the loss. Who takes the hit? Who pays? The master does. See, the master introduces a, a whole new system of debt management. Not you owe, you pay, but you owe and, and I'll pay. It's the economy of grace. It's the economy of his kingdom. I mean, it's crazy, but the king says, I will pay your unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss. It's on me. You can go free. You owe, and I'll pay. Again, this is our story, right? Colossians 2. We really hear this. Because you're sinners. And I'm a sinner. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For if he gave all our sins, he canceled the record of the charges against us. And took it away. By nailing it to the cross. Now can you imagine what happens when this guy goes home that night in Matthew 18? And he sees his wife. They're not going to lose their home. The family won't have to spend their entire lives in prison. They're free. They have their life back. They don't even have to pay the debt. It's all because of the economy of grace and forgiveness. Jesus continues the story. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, right? 100 days wages, 100 times, 192, owed him $19,200, so this time, he's the one that's owed money. If we were watching this on the Hallmark channel, we know what's going to happen. It's going to be good, right? This ain't Hallmark, right? He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Sound familiar? I mean, he's being asked to extend the same grace and forgiveness that he just received. He was forgiving a debt of $19.2 billion. Of course he's going to show mercy, right? Of course the one who had received such grace would so easily extend it, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, verse 31, it's, it's really kind of important. Sometimes we can overlook it. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The other servants heard it and they were what? They were outraged. And why were they so upset? See, because they lived in this community where they, they have this master who does not treat them as servants, but treats them as sons and daughters. They have this master who does not treat them as their debts deserve. I mean, they have this master who is over the top, merciful and generous and gracious and forgiven. And, one of, and when one of their own receives grace but then refuses to give it, it's a problem. And they're outraged. Listen, Maple Grove, brothers and sisters, grace and forgiveness is the only way that this community, God's family, his church, this Christian thing is ever going to work. Listen, grace and forgiveness is the only way that this thing is ever going to work. You see, it's just not going to work if we who have received grace and forgiveness refuse to give it. And so when we see a brother or sister who's received God's forgiveness act ungraciously, that's the problem. When we see someone who has received incredible grace start being ungracious and unforgiving, that's a problem and it should cause outrage. So in this parable of, of grace and forgiveness, we, we see this call to the outrage. There's this call for the church, for Jesus followers, to not be okay with ungrace. To not be okay with gracism. To not be okay when people are gracist. And in case you know what those terms mean, here they are. Gracism. I deserve to have grace, but certain people who do not meet my standards because of who they are and what they have done to me do not. That's gracism. Okay? A gracist. A person who is quick to ask for and accept grace but refuses to extend that same grace to certain people. You ever been a gracious? Have you ever practiced gracism? Understand, ungrace, gracelessness, gracism, and being a gracious is not okay. Not if you want to follow Jesus, right? Hey, it's your choice and my choice. We can choose not to forgive, but the moment we do, we choose not to be following Jesus. So the master finds out he's not too happy. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I've had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. God hates and is outraged by our unforgiveness, 
by my unforgiveness, by your unforgiveness. Now, many times when Jesus ends a parable, he's kind of vague. The end is vague because he wants us to go home and reflect and think about it some. He's not vague here. He's not vague here. He says, and if this should terrify every person in this room who is breathing, who's ever been hurt by another individual. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sister from the heart. Wow. Let that sink in. Does that scare anybody? Now, immediately, I know we want to push back on that, right? This is Steve. You're telling me that if I don't forgive the person who hurt me, who abused me, who betrayed me, who cheated me, who abandoned me, who lied about me, who fill in the blank, you're telling me that, that, Steve, you're telling me that if I don't forgive them, God won't forgive me? No, I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling you that and telling me that. You see, the truth that Jesus is wanting to make clear here is that if we think it's okay to receive God's grace and not give it, if we think it's okay to be forgiven and not forgive, if we think it's okay to bask in bitterness or reside in resentment, to hold on to a grudge, to keep a record of wrongs, to let our hurt become hate, we're wrong. I know it's not fair. I know that. Because those people do owe you something, right? I mean, it's right here in black and white. They owe you $19,200. No, it's not right. But here's the deal. Jesus will never ask you to forgive and show more grace than he's already given to you. And and so Jesus counters Peter's equation. When does my hurt become greater than your call to forgive with his own equation? You know, forgiveness... For people like math, I don't know if you knew this or not, 19.2 billion is greater than 19,000, okay? And if you knew that, you can look it up, trust me, it's true, right? Even Google it, it may be, Google may even back me up on that, or Wikipedia. You know, forgiveness is always greater than a hurt. And, and, and please hear me, this is not to make light Of what you have to forgive. Not to make light of it. I mean, sometimes that $19,200, it hurts a lot for a really long time. So I'm not trying to make light of that, neither is Jesus, but, but the more we understand God and the more we understand ourselves, the more we realize that this equation is true. That forgiveness, what we've been forgiving, is always greater than our hurt. And if that equation doesn't make sense to you, and if you do not want to accept that equation, then you don't really understand the gospel, and you don't really know yourself, because here's the bottom line. If the biggest sinner that you know isn't you, you don't know yourself very well. And I don't know myself very well, if that's me. So we've forgiven this huge debt. And we're called to forgive as the Lord forgave us. A few equations. As we wrap up, 
Forgiveness is greater than repayment. Repayment is this idea of they have to make it right, right? That's repayment. The person who hurt us has to make it right. Now, I grew up being taught as a child that if I hurt someone, if I did something wrong, whatever it was, that I needed to make it right. Needed to say something or do something to make it right. Which is a, I think that's a good lesson for a child to learn. But it developed in my mind this kind of unbiblical approach to to, to forgiveness and grace. Because here's what I figured. When it comes to forgiveness, when someone hurts me, forgiveness comes when the person who hurts me makes it right. And when they say something or when they do something to make things right, then I will forgive them. But the problem is that's not forgiveness. That's not grace. That's repayment. See, in the flesh we want repayment. But let me ask you, what do you do when you're hurt so bad? That there's nothing that can be said and there's nothing that can be done to make it right. What do you do? What do you do then? And if that hasn't happened to you yet, it's probably going to happen to you. When someone does something to you that is so wrong and so hurtful that there's nothing they can say or do to make it right. And brothers and sisters, that's when grace comes in. The Bible says in verse 27, the master canceled the debt. He he erased it completely. He didn't extend the note. He didn't make it interest only. He canceled it. And that's what God's done for us. It's not earned. Now again, trust may need to be earned. But see, when you make forgiveness dependent on another person who hurts you, making things right, then you need to find a different word because that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is greater than repayment. Forgiveness is greater than revenge. Now, maybe you've been hurt and they should not have treated you this way. And maybe you have the power to get even. But forgiveness releases that right. Forgiveness says no to getting even. It says no to the you hurt me, I'll hurt you back philosophy of the world. It recognizes that any justice be given has to be laid in the hands of God. Do not take revenge, my friends. Do not repay evil for evil. Leave room for God's wrath. For vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. You say, if I give up my right to get even when someone hurts me, that's not fair. You're right. It's unfair. But, but whoever said forgiveness is fair. I mean, was it fair for Jesus? To die on a cross? And forgive everything you've ever done wrong? And let you go scot-free? Was that fair? And so you release your right to get even. You cancel the debt and let it go. And brothers and sisters, today... December 8th, 2019, Jesus is telling, commanding, calling, and inviting you and I, let them go. Let her go. Let him go. Let it go. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. They don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it. I know that. But nevertheless, let them go for your good. In his glory. And let me be clear. Letting 
them go doesn't mean you're not going to hurt anymore. Understand, forgiving and no longer keeping a record of wrongs does not mean that you won't feel pain anymore. In fact, in, in some ways, forgiveness means that you're actually choosing to live with the pain and the consequences of another person because they can't make it right. I mean, that they can try, and they make, might make you feel a little better for a while. But ultimately, when you're really hurt, there's nothing they can say, and there's nothing they can do. It just hurts. And that's where grace and forgiveness come in and they do their best and their most supernatural work. Forgiveness is greater than repayment, it's greater than revenge, and it's greater than resentment. Resentment is that approach to hurt that I'm just going to be quiet and become more and more angry about the situation. Right? I'm going to keep feeding the offense. I'm going to keep reliving the pain. I'm going to keep rehearsing the hurt. I'm going to keep pushing the play button and playing over and over again in my heart and my mind the hurt that they caused me and how they mistreated me. And so we just quietly become a more angry and a bitter person. But understand, when you choose resentment, do you know who ultimately pays for it? You know, don't you? You do. You pay for it. I mean, in this parable, who, who, who wound up in prison? The guy who refused to forgive. He's the one who's locked up. He's the one who's in prison. Check out these words. One philosopher said, or a theologian said, of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. To lick your wounds and savor the pain that you will get back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that what you're eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. You start holding a grudge, but in the end, the grudge holds you. Forgiveness is greater than repayment. It's greater than revenge. It's greater than resentment. Amen? What, what, a, what a powerful story. Jesus tells in Matthew 18 in response to Peter's question and ours, Lord, do I really have to forgive them? I don't want to. They hurt me. They, they hurt my loved one, and it still hurts. And when I think it's gone, I look down, and it, the wound is still there. Lord, Lord, when is my hurt greater than your call to forgive? And Jesus, with the tenderness in his voice, says, it never is. You see, we stand before a mighty and holy God with our sins piled up like a mountain. And the mountain is so tall we can't get over it. It's so deep we can't get under it. It's so wide we can't get around it. And that's every one of us in this room. Our, our sins are like a debt we can never pay. Not in our lifetime, not in 2,703, 972 years, not ever. And we come with this massive debt before God and we come empty-handed saying, God, I can't pay. It's too much. It's too big. And God, who is rich in mercy, says, that's okay, Steve. I'll pay it. I'll forgive your sins. My son will pay your debt, Steve Malone, with his blood. Steve, you owe, but I'll pay See, that's the perspective that Jesus wants us to live out. 
He, he, he wants his grace and his forgiveness to become a spring of living water that flows, from, flows within us and out from us. Someone has said we're most like beasts when we kill. We're most like men when we judge. And we're most like God when we what? Forgive. God loves forgiveness. I mean, I can't think of one example in all the scripture where God rebukes or condemns someone and says, you know what? You are just too forgiving. You just show grace too much. Knock it off. <laughs> Instead, he rejoices at acts of grace and forgiveness. And no wonder, because when you see real raw forgiveness, is undeniably beautiful and powerful. I, I want to show you a, a video clip and you know, do not tune out until we're out of this church today, right? Do not walk out of this room without having God help you deal with the hurt that maybe you've been holding on for years and years. It's a clip, you know, and, and let me get the date right. In uh, September of 2018, an off-duty police officer actually went into the wrong home, thought it was her home, and shot a, a gentleman named Bothan Jean, because she thought he was an intruder. Uh, she was arrested, and this past October, she was sentenced uh, to prison for murder. And Dothan's brother, Brant, had the opportunity to do family impact statements to talk to this lady, okay? The lady that murdered his brother. This kid is 18 years old. Wow. Forgiveness is undeniably beautiful and powerful, right? And, and I want to wrap up with this idea. Um, you know, the key to forgiving, I, I mean the hard, messy kind of forgiveness. Here, here, here's the key. The key to forgiving is to stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about all that Jesus has done for you. That's it. It's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just saying that you have to stop. When the bitterness starts to grow, when the rage starts to set in, we have to stop and we have to think. We have to stop thinking about what's been done to us and we need to replace it with thoughts of all that Jesus has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. Because when we really remember all that he has done for us, it will give us the grace to forgive because love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, every week we, uh, we close by singing a song and taking communion. We're going to do that. And, but I'm going to give you guys an opportunity as well. Um, like at each kiosk, one in the back, you'll see, you know, I, Ladies, director of the church did a phenomenal job. I stole three of your candles today, I confess. If you think they're missing up here. So, but by each of the candles at the kiosk, there's a bell. We've used these bells before. And, and when we, we're done singing, we go for communion. And during the communion time, I, I hope you're praying and seeking God. If there's some business you need to do, and you're saying, God, I don't know how I can let it go, right? You know, but but I, I want to let them go right now so I can be free. You just go over and you'll hit that bell. That's a cry out to God, saying, God, right, you hit that bell. What does that mean Wait, if you're at the deli? It means they're never coming when I hit the bell, right? <laughs> Food line took the bell away. And we're kind of upset about that. It's like, 
you guys are never here. I went, one time I actually called them up on the phone. Can I have the delay department? I, they, but anyhow, I, 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 I digress, which is easy for me. But the bell is like, right, I want help. Help me, God. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't know how. But I want to do it. Will you help me do it, right? And so you just, just that's between you and God, just do it. And, and, and if you're here today and you've met, you got this mountain of debt to God that you haven't dealt with, you'll never be good enough, you know, to earn it. You can't deserve it, right? God's grace is available to you every day at this very moment. You know, you can repent of your sins. You can confess them as Lord. You can be buried in, in baptism this day and walk out here knowing that your debt is forgiven. We have communion off to the sides. If you're visiting, you know, we have a cup and you'll find a cracker and you'll find a, a represents his broken body, broken because God couldn't imagine eternity without you and bloodshed to pay your debt, your $9.2 billion debt. And we collect our offering there as well. You know, if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray. And let God do business in your heart. God, we love you. And God, there's not one person in this room that has not been hurt, that has not been, not been betrayed, let down, mistreated. And there's not one person in this room, God, that follows you that's not been forgiven much. And God, help us to, right now, to allow your spirit to move in the work. God, I just pray for a person, Lord, who's in this room, man, and it's it still hurts. It seems like it's never going to go away. God, I just pray that they trust you, that you can help them. And you can put that pain in perspective. And Father, we want to be a people that build our lives on your love. Because it truly is a firm foundation. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus, thank you for taking our record of wrongs and nailing it to the cross. Amen.